energy. The guy told me I was no spring chicken anymore, and that's why my ankle was still hurting. I'm 33, not 133. The passion. The Red Sox handling of Xander Bogarts is a complete organizational failure. The opinions on all your favorite teams. No, not this year, but it's next year where Bill Belichick ends up on the hot seat. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show back at it here on a Thursday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEBradio.com. Full show tonight, all 90 minutes. We're up till 7 o'clock. Great to have high school basketball on the airwaves last night, but happy to have a full show tonight. This is a glorious day for me. Like, this is a glorious show for me because I am not engineering this show. I get to just talk on this show, and those days are rare. If you know anything about radio, generally, like we have people who help on the show, but generally I'm in the main studio, and in the main studio are all the controls. So when it, but so we have help, but I I do the talking and I press all the buttons. Well, Nick Mumley, our guy, you know him from our Thunder Road coverage, he's filling in for me next Tuesday. So he's got to learn how to press all the buttons. So he's in the main studio today, pressing the buttons. I'm in the in the offs in the, uh, the the alternate studio through the glass, just getting to talk. The, the, my day just got so easy today. Pressing the buttons is the hard part of this show. The talking is the easy part, and that's all I get to do today. So we're on it for the next ninety minutes until seven o'clock. Buster Olney of ESPN going to talk baseball with us at five forty-five. I want to react to some of what I discussed last night with Tom Karen. That was a podcast-only interview, but it was great. And we'll get to plenty on the Patriots as well. You can get in, as always, on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. That's your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Because I'm not in the main studio, there is no video product today. So no Facebook Live today, but we'll be back at that uh, tomorrow. So, Nick, give me the here we go sounder. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show were brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. I want to start here. I understand that Mac Jones is mad, but he needs to not make this behavior a habit and you know what i'm talking about because the patriots won on monday and here we are three days later and the conversation is not about a patriots win and the conversation is not about the upcoming game with the vegas raiders the conversation continues to center around mac jones's behavior okay two weeks ago against buffalo he's swearing about the offense he's swearing at matt patricia on the sidelines Monday night against Arizona, he's swearing about the offense. He's waving off Matt Patricia, trying to keep him on the sidelines. So the frustration is visible. It's been visible now for back-to-back weeks. And the conversation is not about football. The conversation is about Mac's behavior. And the conversation all week has been about whether or not Mac's behavior and his outbursts are appropriate. 
trust me, for the last three days, I've done nothing, it feels like, but compile audio from people on all sides of this debate. I'm not going to play it all for you, but trust me, I've got people on all sides of this debate. We had Bob Sosian on Tuesday saying Mac needs to be careful. Former Patriots offensive lineman Ross Tucker said Mac hasn't earned the right to show up and yell at it, to show up his coaches or yell at his coaches. But I got Colin Cowherd, Dan Orlovsky, Ty Law, and a bunch of others saying they like seeing Mac at Mac act this way and they like the urgency that he's showing and they like that he's holding people accountable. And the one piece of audio I am going to play is our guy Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston. And, Nick, he also thinks Mac is justified. I totally get it. I get it. This has been building for months. I think he tried to approach this thing in a certain way for a long, long time. And now we're down to the last month plus of the season. And desperate times call for desperate measures. And I think there also was a breaking point that was reached. And I think it was last week against the Buffalo Bills. So there are people on all sides of this, and I want to make my position on this issue very, very clear. I get why Mac Jones is frustrated. I do. It's obvious. He's frustrated for all the same reasons that we as fans are frustrated. They can't throw the ball downfield. They can't block consistently. The coaching situation is problematic. The play calls are wonky. The clock management is weird. It is obvious why Mac Jones is frustrated. But, but, you cannot, if you are Mac Jones, start making these public outbursts an every week thing. You cannot make them repetitive behavioral actions because when they become repetitive, they lose their effectiveness and they become a poor reflection on you. So I was on Mac Jones' side Thursday against Buffalo. I was not on Mac Jones' side on Monday. When you start to pull this rabbit out of your hat multiple weeks in a row, you start looking like a whiny baby, and that is not what Mac Jones, the leader of my football team, needs to be. Think about it like this, right? Think about it like this. When you were younger, let's just say your mother was a really sweet woman, really nice, really sweet, always supported you. When mom raised her voice at you that one time, you knew she meant business, right? You knew it. You knew, wow, that was weird. Mom never does that. Mom's always quiet. Mom's always nice. Mom's always in a good mood. Mom's yelling at me now. Wow, I must have, this, okay, now, all right, I got it now. Now I'm going to shape up. When mom acted different than usual, you listened, if mom was always yelling at you and mom is always on your case and mom is always rolling her eyes and mom is always screaming, guess what you're doing? Eventually, you're tuning her out. Okay? One time, she meant business. Every time, it's a tune out. Now, that's just the way mom is. Doesn't matter. Doesn't really register with me anymore. That's what I can't have happen to Mac Jones. You cannot make this behavior repetitive. Against Buffalo, on that Thursday night on the sideline, Mac Jones made his point. Mac Jones stood up for himself. Mac Jones stood up for his teammates. Mac Jones stood against Bill Belichick's plan. He rallied for his guys, all of it. And on Thursday, I supported him because I was frustrated as a fan, and I appreciated Mac Jones speaking truth to how I felt 
Thursday against Buffalo, I was on Mac's side. But on Monday against Arizona, I started to tune it out. You bring it out once, you got my attention, I'm going to listen. Bring it out once, a rarity. You never do that. Oh, wow, Max, even Max mad? You know it must be bad. You bring it out twice in two weeks, and now, okay, all right, Max, Max, all right, Max a bit emotional. That's all right. Just everybody look away. Nothing really to see here. I looked at Mac on Monday, honestly, a little sideways. Because you already pulled this once. You did this last week. Now you've got to be mature about it, and you've got to get to work. At the time of the outburst against Buffalo, the Patriots were getting pounded. I got his frustration. But on Monday night when Mac was upset, when he's dropping F-bombs, when he's waving off Matt Patricia, it was a three-point game. The Patriots had the ball, and they were driving, and they had a chance to come out and take control at that point. And instead of the optimism about what was ahead, we got Max negative reaction. I need him more positive and more focused on the field. That's that's the truth. Mac Jones is the CEO of my franchise, and the CEO of my franchise has to have a mature response consistently. I'll give you the one off against Buffalo. I'll give you the Okay, uh, yes, that, I'll give you that. You got my attention. But time number two, I'm, I can't have time number two be the next week. It just can't. One time is jarring and you got everybody's attention. Two times becomes a trend. It becomes a trend. I mean, look, this is an extreme example, but Patrick Beverly in the NBA, Antonio Brown, nobody, nobody bats an eye at the weird things they do because that's just who they are. Okay, it's the guy, if Steph Curry went out of character, you'd be like, whoa, even Steph's mad? A.B., you, you write off. Steph Curry, you're like, ooh, okay, that was different. That That's what Mac Jones needs to be, more CEO-like. It's just, I'm not trying to make Mac Jones into some robot mute. I'm not. I encourage him to use his voice. I encourage him to be a leader. I encourage him to have a say. I encourage him to have the locker room. And I don't mind him if if he wants to have a shouting match with Matt Patricia behind closed doors. I'd rather have that too. I believe, though, the way to get things done consistently is through conversation, and it's not publicly airing your grievances back-to-back weeks. Mac Jones, to me, is better than that. Okay, Mac Jones' best trait is supposed to be from the neck up. Right? Mac doesn't have the world's best arm. He doesn't have the world's best legs or the world's best feet. He doesn't get by on athleticism. He gets by on what's up top. And when what you have up top is your trait, you better be great up top. And doing this back-to-back weeks is not is not the perfect leadership strategy. It's just not. Texter, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury, text line 802-585-3026. Nate is on the line. He says, I sympathize with Mac. I do. But you had a guy in Bailey Zappi who went out there and did what Patricia asked of him and went 2-0. and Mac needs to calm down and just play better. At some point, he risks losing his job to the yes guy. The crying needs to stop. Nate, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. 
right? Bailey Zappi did do what was asked of him. But Bailey Zappi also had a far more advantageous situation than Mac Jones did, right? Bailey Zappi started against the Detroit Lions at the time when the Lions were the worst defense in NFL history. When they were in the midst of going one and six, that's when you got the Lions. You also saw the Lions without Amon Ross St. Brown, without five or six defensive backs or something like that. So you saw the Lions, a bad team at a bad time. You saw the Cleveland Browns with Jacoby Brissett, right? You saw the Browns at an easier time. So, and you also had more health on your side, right? You had Jacoby Myers in those games. You had Devontae Parker in those games. You had Isaiah Wynn in those games. You had, you just, the Patriots were healthier at that point. So, yes, Zappy did what was asked, but he also is doing it under easier circumstances. He's not playing Buffalo, not on a short week, not playing without Jacoby Myers against Arizona. So, I, everybody keeps trying to shove Zappy down my throat, and I'm not there. I still think in this quarterback room, Mac Jones is the guy. Okay, in this quarterback room, Mac Jones is the guy. But I need my guy to have a better grip consistently. Again, I will give you the one-off. I will give you the one-off. You cannot make this a, you cannot make this part of your, this cannot be a trend. This cannot be a trend. It's the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEV Radio. I want to transition away from the Patriots, but trust me, we'll get back to them in the 6 o'clock hour. And Now I want to transition over to Major League Baseball. Every Thursday at this time, we talk with our guy, Buster Olney, Buster Olney of ESPN. And Buster, there's there's a lot to talk about here in Red Sox land. How are you? I'm doing okay. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about with the Red Sox, as always. Yeah, there's a Time period. Lots to talk about with the Red Sox, and I, I wanted to start with them, but I actually want to go to a piece that you wrote yesterday that came out on ESPN Plus, which I read every word of, was about Aaron Judge and kind of what went into his negotiations from going back to spring training until he actually closed the deal at the winter meetings. And I got the sense from your piece that there was a real fear that Judge would leave and that it was actually very possible that he was going to leave. Tell me a little bit about the piece and what you learned. Yeah, and look, um, you know, Aaron Judge hasn't come out and said exactly what was going through his mind during the negotiation and what was going through his mind in those last 24 hours. But uh, what clearly I got back from, you know, from Yankee people was that they were really concerned that Judge was leaving. And then you had that uh, inaccurate tweet by John Heyman uh, in the last day of negotiations in which he, you know, said arson judge, you know, <laughs> headed to the Giants, it appears, or something along those lines. And even though that was, uh, you know, immediately deleted by John and he acknowledged the mistake, it did feed into this feeling among Yankees people like, oh, Jesus, like he might go elsewhere. And in fact, you know, there were alternatives for him. You know, the Giants offered a lot of money, the team he grew up for. Uh, grew up rooting for, and then the San Diego Padres blew the Yankees out of the water in terms of what they were offering, about $400 million, $80 million more than what they were the Yankees stood. And so, you know, the Yankees had this sense of dread uh, that Tuesday evening at the winter meetings, and Aaron Boone, their manager, was at a, a dinner with uh, colleagues, and he said, you know, should I call Judge? And they encouraged him, yeah, just give it a shot. you got nothing to lose. 
and he spoke with Judge, and what he sensed right away was Judge was kind of down. Now, if I'm interpreting that as someone who's known him for a time, I think that he was barreling toward a choice that he wasn't necessarily wild about, uh, you know, signing with the Padres for more money. And then, you know, Aaron, uh, Aaron Boone encouraged him, look, call Hal Steinbrenner, who was in Italy, and, and speak to him directly. And, and Hal got a commitment from uh, got a commitment from Judge asking the question, where do you want to play? And Judge told him, yeah, I want to play with the Yankees. And then at that point, Hal Steinbrenner increased his offer by one year, $40 million, to get to the 9 for 360. Kind of thread the needle on the negotiations. But it was tense down the stretch. Mm. Like it was, it was from the Yankees' perspective, them thinking like, "Geez, we're gonna we're gonna lose this guy, and whatever you know we do on the field after he leaves is not gonna be nearly as good as just keeping the signature star." You know, it was a great piece. I encourage you to read it. Thank and you. Um, uh, I wanted to ask you this last week, Buster, but we got so caught up in the Bogart stuff, I didn't get a chance to. There was the report that came out two weeks ago or so about kind of the state of the actual baseball, the physical baseball, and it said that there were juiced balls being used at Yankee Stadium more often than anywhere else. Am I supposed to look at that and say, oh, baseball wanted Judge to break the record, so they gave the Yankees the overinflated baseballs? Is that how I'm supposed to read that story? Well, it, Ray, Brady, it raises questions, right? Um, it, it raises uh, the, you know, something that uh, you know, Rob Manfred, the next time he's in front of reporters, I'm sure he's going to be asked that question. You know, what are we to make of it? I think my question, and, and this is an open-ended question, it's not a rhetorical question, is what, you know, is the sample size that's satisfactory enough to reach that conclusion? Um, and, you know, and the, the people who did that story, Meredith Wills was involved, uh, physicist, if I remember her uh, history correctly, you know, and she has written about how the baseball changes it seemingly from year to year, from sometimes from, you know, month to month. That's that that has to stop like major league baseball has to stop you know this whole conversation about you know the, the central part of the sport being altered you know i think i've said this to you before can you imagine if in every nba game we had a question about what's the composition of the basketball mm-hmm. you know what is it weigh does it have too much air i mean we saw what happened in the nfl yeah. when they left it too much to the individual teams to you know to determine you know, the composition of the football, I, baseball needs to get a consistent uh, surface on the baseball. They need to get a consistent, uh, you know, product so they can end these questions. And I can't stand it. it it's, you know, I don't, I don't know whether or not they're putting juice balls in, but, man, it, it does raise a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of questions of competitive integrity. Buster Olney of ESPN with us here on the Brady Farkas Show every Thursday on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Buster, I am never, ever going to forget the story you told me probably five years ago when we first started talking when I got to Vermont. It was about CC Sabathia in 2009 or 2008 offseason into 2009 season. He wanted to sign with the Los Angeles Angels, and basically the players' union said to him, uh-uh, you're going to take the Yankees offer because it's so much better, and that's better for us. I'm wondering, is the same thing at play for Xander Bogarts? Because I got the sense at his press conference that he didn't look all that thrilled to be in San Diego. Was it almost a situation where he just had to take that offer? Well, and I don't, you know, I know the agents get pressure from the union at times to, you know, take these benchmark numbers. Uh, 
my sense in watching that was this is not what Xander Bogart wanted in his life from 30,000 feet. You know, what he really wanted at heart was to stay with the Red Sox. He loved playing for the Red Sox. He demonstrated that. And so he winds up in a situation where, you know, he took a contract that was more than three times what the Red Sox offered him in spring training. And we, you and I have talked, you know, all spring, all summer about how we got to this point. Um, I, I think he's kind of sad because uh, I do think, and it's not to say anybody should feel sorry for him. My God, he got $280 million. I think he's going to have a blast playing for Bob Melvin. I've told you, I think that he and Manny Machado will have a lot of fun together. You know, that'll all be, uh, you know, fun and productive for him. But it, it wasn't his first choice. His first choice was to work out a deal with the Red Sox. That was my read on it. You know, you mentioned John Heyman earlier in regards to the Aaron Judge tweet. Well, John Heyman had a, had a tweet out yesterday that said the Red Sox are one of the suitors for Dansby Swanson. Do you find that to be realistic, or is that just somebody in his ear trying to drive up the price on somebody else? An agent uh, who is not Scott Boris, okay? Um, you know, and, and uh, there's always been conversation that John is very tight with Scott Boris. An agent who was not Scott Boris predicted to me two weeks ago that he thinks Dansby's going to wind up with the Red Sox. Mm. Um, and it might be that, you know, the price range falls into a place that looks appealing to the Red Sox. You know, the feeling among some of the agents I spoke with yesterday is that he's going to wind up with a deal. Or let's say this, he's going to wind up with offers that are in the same range as what we saw with Trevor Story and Javier Baez last spring. It's about $140 million. So if the price tag is there... You know, that might be something that the Red Sox would look at and be interesting uh, and be interested by that. I would say this, you know, Dansby went to Vanderbilt. I went to Vanderbilt. I've gotten to know him through the years. If I had to guess, and that's all it is, uh, I think Dansby's going to want to go someplace where he can win. And he's going to have those choices. Uh, like the Dodgers are involved in this talk. Uh, you know, I think the Cubs are involved in the talk. They've struggled in recent years, but I think Dansby, you know, with Nico Horner at, at second and Cody Bellinger in center field, they would take a big step forward in the, in the, in the uh, National League Central. Uh, the Twins are competitive. I think they're interested in having him. And, of course, he could go back to the Atlanta Braves, and that's the big question about Dansby's negotiation. You know, will he go back to the Braves and say, look, if you increase your offer from $100 million to, say, 120 you know, I'd, I'd be willing to come back. And will the Braves go to an uncomfortable place? Uh, I, I think he's got a lot of choices. And let's face it, you know, you and I have talked about this. When it comes to free agents, Zach Eflin being an example recently, Red Sox right now are not a, a go-to destination for a lot of these players who have choices because it's kind of ugly right now. Have we heard anything about J.D. Martinez's interest? I haven't even seen him connected to teams yet. No. Uh, and it's very interesting because I've seen some of the salary projections from him, you know, where some people think he's going to do well and, and he's going to wind up getting a big deal. I just don't see it. And I love J.D. personally. I've always enjoyed talking with him. But the regression that he had in the second half of last season, it raises the sort of questions, as Derek Jeter once said, you know, if you have a down year when you're old, everybody wonders if you're done. And that's kind of what's going on with mm. J.D., um, now, I would say this about J.D. My sense of him is that he is a, a guy who's strongly invested in how the team is playing. And if I were an interested executive in him, I'd be exploring the question of, 
all of these Red Sox problems and the, you know, the internal conversation that clubhouse about the offer to Bogart, the frustration among the players, you know, near the trade deadline, Vasquez out, other guys in, I would be asking the question, how much of an impact did that have on JD? Because I, I do think there was some of that going on, not only with him, but with other players, with Bogarts and other players in the team. I thought that that negotiation in spring training, I feel like for the Red Sox, became cancerous within that clubhouse. Hein Bloom was a guest on the Baseball Isn't Boring podcast last week, or early this week. He spoke for, for 50 minutes with Rob Bradford about Bogarts, Devers, etc., and my takeaway on Devers is, is I'm, I'm really worried here. I mean, he said if there's a reasonable deal to be had or if there is even a slightly unreasonable deal to be had, we want to make it. Well, I got news for you. With the way the money is, reasonable came yep. to the bar and left a long time ago. Like, you're going to have to go way above what you want to if you want to keep this player. Now, you, you may remember the specific words of this quote. Andrew Friedman, the, you know, the head of baseball ops for the Dodgers, Speaking of free agency, basically said in so many words, look, if you go in looking for a rational contract uh, to negotiate in that way, you're going to finish third. Uh, and that's exactly right. If you are the Red Sox and you want to keep Rafael Devers, you got to make an uncomfortable deal. You're not going to keep the guy. Uh, just as if you were, you, you were looking to do a rational deal with Mookie Betts or Xander Bogart, you were going to lose the player. And you and I have been talking about this for months. Like, at some point, you've got to step out. And here's the problem for the Red Sox, because the leverage is all on the player's side now, especially given that Devers has made a lot of money in his life already. He's in a great position to bet on himself. Uh, you know, they're going to lose the guy. They're going to lose him. And yeah. the conversation will continue going forward unless they're willing to not only pay market value, but to pay the, 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 the tax. That's topped on top of it for not signing bets and not signing Bogarts. And I, it makes you shake your head because you feel like get out of the bean counting mode and get into the mode of we need this player. We need to get a deal done, not only because we want to keep this really productive, excellent young player, but we have to change the perception of the franchise. That's what they got to pay for in this Devers negotiation. Completely agree with you. Buster only. One of the best as always. Buster with us every Thursday. Buster, have a great week. Next week when we talk, we're going to be uh, coming up on Christmas, so I'll uh, ask you what you're asking Santa for. Okay. That sounds great, Brady. I'll do the same. <laughs> Absolutely. Buster only of ESPN. Yeah, I can't believe next week we're going to be getting ready for uh, getting ready for the holidays. What do I want from Santa? I'd like the Red Sox to acquire a shortstop and another couple of starters and a power hitter. That's what I like. From Santa. All right. Some of you are very angry at me on the text line about Mac Jones. We're going to get to that on the other side of six o'clock, but just great stuff with Buster. And I want to recap a lot of it in the six o'clock hour. And I want to pair it with some of what Tom Karen told me yesterday. There's just so much Red Sox stuff to get to right now, but I really did appreciate Buster's piece on the Yankees. I mean, and on Aaron Judge, because it really painted the picture that Judge was close to leaving the Yankees and that he was really torn up by it. And, you know, he talked about Bogarts feeling sad. That's kind of how it sounded like Judge felt. And ultimately he did end up going back to the Yankees. It was a great story on kind of the internal battle and the tug of war going on between the, the two sides all season and on Judge's demeanor. I thought it was great. For, as much as I hate the Yankees, I thought it was a great story and a great look. 
into uh, one of the biggest, most important free agent decisions and free agent wooings in the history of baseball. But, you know, Buster also, this story about the actual physical baseballs, this is absurd. We didn't even talk about this last week, but yeah, two weeks ago, a story came out that said that Major League Baseball was using juiced balls at various times throughout the year, right? We talked about how dead the baseballs were at the beginning of the season and nobody could hit and the humidor was going to open things up and blah, 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 blah. Well, they used the juice balls, the home run derby, the all-star game, things like that that you would expect. They also found out that a bunch of juice balls were used in just Yankee games. It's like Major League Baseball was saying, we want Aaron Judge to hit home runs, so we're going to give juice balls to Yankee Stadium, so basically he's got an easier chance of hitting homers. And if that's true, that to me is absolutely sickening. Because I've never been on the side of the league is fixing things. When people tell me, oh, the fix is in, I've never bought it. Well, and that wouldn't be the case here because both teams are, you know, are playing with the same ball. So it's not fixing it for one side, but it's like the league allegedly cooking the books. I am very much against that. Just a joke if that's true uh, from the league's perspective. All right. We're going to get the CBS National News Update. When we come back, I'm going to tell you about my very, very embarrassing night last night. And I'm going to respond to the angry texts that I'm getting about Mac Jones. I'm going to deal with these texts. We're going to do it next here on DEV. Make your opinion heard by texting onto the Brady Farkas Show at 802-585-3026. This is former NFL wide receiver Keyshawn Johnson, and now we're back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV Radio and WDEVRadio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVRadio.com. Quick programming announcement. The high school basketball tournament that we were scheduled to broadcast tomorrow, the Constellation and Championship of the Dave Morse Invitational, that has been postponed because of the impending snowstorm. So tomorrow we will have a full show, all 90 minutes, which will be great for us. We'll get a chance to get you properly ready for Week 15, Patriots Raiders. We've got a bunch of Saturday games this week, so a lot of good stuff will be able to easily fill the 90 minutes tomorrow and we will have the uh, Dave Morse Invitational on Saturday. That is when we uh, will have the makeup date. I'm going to respond to your text messages here about Mac Jones, one in particular that uh, is really going after me. But speaking of basketball, I got to tell you this quick story. Last night, I had a game in the men's league, right? I talked about this in the summer and in the fall I played. So there's, it's, it's the same overarching league, right? The Essex Junction Parks and Rec Department. But there's a spring version, a summer version, a fall version, and a winter version. You know, you get like eight games in each version and then the playoffs, et cetera. So in the fall, my team went undefeated and we won the championship. So the winter league has started now and I have a different team and a bunch of different guys, et cetera. So last night, we we played against Mike Tromboli, right? Mike Tromboli, the former UVM star, UVM Hall of Famer, 2,000 points, 2,000 assists. So he was on my team in the fall. We won the title. Last night we played against him. We lost at the buzzer in overtime on a ridiculous shot hit by Tromboli. I had 30 points. Now, that's a lot of points, but it was generally a pretty ugly game, including by yours truly. But I had 30 points. Tromboli hits the game winner. Number one... 
I very much liked it better when Trimboli was on my team rather than having to have me guard him and him guard me. I didn't appreciate that as much. So Trimboli hits the game-winning bucket. They win the game. We lose by two, 102 to 100. That's not the part that I really want to tell, though. Like, yeah, we lost. Trimboli's the best player on the court. He's the best player in the league. I got to say this, though. I had maybe one of the dumbest plays in the history of basketball last night. This happened at about 8.30 last night. I am still embarrassed, and I am still angry about it today. I haven't been this embarrassed about my own play in basketball since I was about 15. Last night, this play I'm about to describe for you was horrible. Before I do it, let me tell you a little bit of how the league works. So, it's a league, but... It, it has some pickup qualities to it, right? There's no referees. So for the most part, it's gentlemen's rules. You call your own fouls. Sometimes the offensive player gets hit and will call a foul, and a lot of times the defensive player will say, hey, man, I hammered you, my bad, it's a foul on me, take the ball up top. So it is a league, but there are no refs. But then the last 15 seconds of the game, you get free throws. Okay, The last 15 seconds of the game, you get free throws. So what happens is, is we are tied 90 to 90 at the end of regulation and we have the ball and we can take the last shot. Well, Trimboli's team has decided we don't want them to get the last shot. We've got Trimboli. We want him to get the last shot. So what they elected to do was foul us, knowing that at 15 seconds, we would go to the free throw line and if we miss or make one or even make two, they're going to get the ball back and Triboli's going to have a chance to win the game. So it's 90 to 90. There's 15 seconds left. I get the ball. I get fouled. So they put me at the line and I missed. So number one, now I'm embarrassed that I've missed the shot. I've missed the free throw that could have given us the lead and given me a second free throw. It's one and one. Hit the second free throw to put us up 92 to 90. So I've choked that away, but we get the rebound. And we have the rebound with like eight seconds left. And we call timeout. Okay. So they decide they're going to come out with the exact same strategy. Right? We're going to foul them again. So we get the ball. And I get it again. And the guy is bear hugging me. He's just hammering me. And I, I don't know what's going through my mind here. I didn't call the foul. Right? All game long, I tell you, gentlemen's rule. Sometimes the offensive player calls it. A lot of times the defensive player will call it. So I didn't call the foul. And I think in my mind, I'm just waiting for him to call the foul because it's so clear that he's hammering me. He's trying to hammer me. So I've got the ball, and I've got him draped all over me, practically hugging me, but I don't call a foul, and he doesn't call it either. I think he's hoping I won't call it just because he doesn't want to put me at the line, really, to try to win the game. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm expecting you to call it. So then I just take a couple dribbles and then fire up a three from like six feet behind the line because I'm like, well, the clock's running out. And I airballed it by like 100 feet because I got this guy draped all over me. And I'm thinking to myself, that is a foul. I'm being hugged. And he's like, well, you never called it. I'm like, I'm waiting for you to call it. Gentlemen's rules, like we've been playing all game. And so I airballed the shot, and I'm like, well, all right, at least we're going to overtime now. I look up at the clock. There's three and a half seconds left in this game. So not only did I stupidly not call the foul, not only did I muff, did I screw up the free throw 
from the previous possession, but now I've taken the shot and airballed it horribly, and then there's still four seconds left in the clock, and they can come down and try to win the game. Now, luckily, they missed a shot, but my goodness, you could not have had worse situational awareness than I had last night. I missed the shot. I, I missed the free throw. And I missed the free throw. And I I butchered the final possession. And it just it, it could not have been worse. It could not have been worse. And we ended up losing the game in overtime because Tromboli hits a hits a three pointer. I mean, my goodness. Like just call the foul. He should call the foul. I should call the foul. I should have hit the free throw line and tried to win the game. But instead, I didn't. Just completely embarrassing. And I'm still mad about it. I liked it better when Triboli was on my team. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right. I'm going to get to the Patriots again in a minute. But I do have a couple of texts coming in about our Mac Jones segment from the beginning. Nate says... Brady, I don't disagree with your argument, re-Mac versus Zappi. I'm just saying if Zappi is a yes guy, he becomes a little more enticing when you have a complainer as a leader. Well, I think ultimately talent wins out a lot of the time in the NFL, and Mac has more talent than Zappi as far as I'm concerned. So that that's where I stand on that. Bob in Moncton says, Brady, I'm a business owner and I have employees. There are three types of whiners. There's a guy who whines all the time. You ignore them, and you eventually get rid of them if they can't produce. That's one. Two, there's a guy that whines when things get tough. You can push these guys and show them they can do it, and it's not that bad. But if they cave, then you get rid of them. And then three, there's the guy that whines and says there's a better way. After a few times, you probably listen to him, possibly try it and see if he's successful. Which one is Mac Jones? I think at his core, Mac Jones is number three. I think at his core, Mac Jones is a hard worker. Mac Jones is an inquisitive guy. He wants to know why things are happening. And I think that's one of the frustrations that Mac has. That Bill Belichick is more of the, hey, I'm the coach, we're doing this. And Mac is inquisitive. He wants to know, well, why are we doing this? What is the design of this? What is behind this? So I think Mac is frustrated that he's not getting all the answers that he wants. And so he's just kind of gone along with it all along. And as Phil Perry said in hour one, he's kind of just reached his breaking point. I think generally Mac is a hard worker. And generally Mac is a guy who just wants to know why what's being done is being done. So generally, I don't think that Mac is a complainer by trade. But that said, the last two weeks, Mac has been a complainer. And I don't want to see Mac make this a trend, which is what I said. Look, you want to act out once? I got you. I support you on that. You start acting out over and over and over again, you're going to lose my support, and you very well might lose support of your teammates and coaches. Mac has been a good guy, and he's done things the right way a lot of his tenure in Foxborough. I believe this past Monday was a mistake, and I believe it's not a good look. And I'm hoping a young player learns from that. I believe Mac Jones is a better leader than he exhibited on Monday night. 
Texter said is the issue Belichick. The issue is that there's a defensive coordinator calling plays and a defensive coordinator who has two jobs. That's, that is the issue here. Matt Patricia has never called NFL offense. Matt Patricia is also coaching the offensive line. Two full-time jobs, Matt Patricia is doing both of them, and he's not really able to give full attention to either of them. So yes, ultimately, the issue is Belichick. The text that's really going after me is this. Unnamed texter. Brady, I have an issue with you assigning a player profile before they've spent more than three or four seasons at the pro level, and you're attempting to make them fit a narrative that you've outlined them as being without seeing them overcome pro-level hurdles. So I guess this texter is bothered by me saying that Mac needs to be good up top. There's absolutely nothing wrong in what I'm saying, texter. The quarterback is the CEO of my franchise. And the CEO of my franchise needs to handle things the right way. And I'll give you Thursday night. I'll give you that outburst. One outburst in two years. I will give you that. But when you start to make it a habit, that is not the right way of handling things. And you look around the NFL, right? Cam Newton, early in his career, was a sulker. And guess what? It came off that he was a me-first player, and that reputation followed him forever. And a lot of you didn't like Cam when he was in New England because of that. Okay, I was at the Super Bowl when Cam played against the Denver Broncos and didn't go after the fumble and sat at the podium in the post-game press conference draped in a towel and, and, and walked off the podium sulking. That followed him for years. And that was not a good look for him. Kyler Murray, not being a good film studier, playing video games, being pouty, being selfish, that is following me, that is following him. Aaron Rodgers being a me-first guy, that is following him. And you know what? Cam, Aaron Rodgers, and and Kyler Murray have the talent to overcome some of those labels. Mac Jones doesn't. Mac Jones needs to be great up top, and generally he has been. Monday he was not. Texter says, Mac hasn't had enough experience managing difficult situations, and you nor anyone else can determine who he really is until he's gone through them. Look, this is on. This is an on-the-job training program. Mac Jones was the quarterback at Alabama. Mac Jones played for Nick Saban. Mac Jones spent four years at Alabama. He sat on the bench for three of them behind Tua Tagovailoa and Jalen Hurts. He's seen leadership. He's been coached in leadership. He's seen great leaders. He has been schooled on handling the Alabama media at Tuscaloosa. That is as pro-level as it can get. He's been to the playoffs in New England. He's played for Belichick. He dealt with a quarterback controversy. He dealt with unseating a veteran from his job. Cam Newton, or uh, Mac Jones has dealt with a lot of things already at the NFL level. And he just needed to handle Monday night better. I'm not telling Mac to not get mad. I'm not telling Mac to not care. I'm saying you do not want to make the behavior of Monday night and calling out your coaching staff and whining. You do not to you do not want to make that your hallmark. That is what you don't want. That is what you don't want. Let's kind of continue on some of this because it's not Let's continue on. Let me let me go this way. There is more evidence 
of a disconnect between Patriots players and Patriots coaches, right? It's not just Mac on the field Thursday against Buffalo and Monday in Arizona. It's not just that. So we talk about that, right? We've talked about that a lot today, but there's even more. Did you hear this piece of audio from earlier this week? And you have to kind of follow the breadcrumbs to get to where I'm going with it. But we're going to play this piece of audio for you. So the the Patriots play the Raiders this weekend, right? And that means they play against Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels is the head coach of the Raiders. Mac obviously played for McDaniels last year as the offensive coordinator in New England. Did you hear Mac talk about McDaniels, Nick, Monday on WEEI in Boston? Yeah, I think Josh is a, a great coach and um, pushed me really hard and coached me hard. And um, we just worked together and we were with each other every day and working hard. So he expects a lot out of his players and he's a smart, smart guy. He's got great memory, great recall. He remembers things from certain games and, and all that. So definitely a great coach. Um and looking forward to, you know, going against them, you know, this weekend. So, Nick, play that again, but play just the first five or six seconds or so. Yeah, I think Josh is a, a great coach and um, pushed me really hard and coached me hard. Okay, right there. Did you hear what Mac Jones just said there? He just said that Josh McDaniels pushed me hard and coached me hard. Now, why does that matter? Because after the Bills loss, after that first Mac Jones blow up in the sideline. After that game, Mac Jones went to the podium and said what? He said, I want to be coached harder. It's not by accident that Mac Jones is using that phrase again. Mac Jones is sending a message. He is telling you, after Buffalo, I want to be coached harder. So what does he say a week and a half later? Why did I love McDaniels? He pushed me and he coached me hard. Okay, Mac Jones is sending you a message there. McDaniels pushed him. McDaniels hyped, uh, harped on the details in a way that Mac is not getting right now. So clearly, there is a disconnect still between Mac and the offensive coaching staff. You had Kendrick Bourne after the Buffalo game calling out the offense and the coaching staff. And, Nick, we had Phil Perry, our guy from NBC Sports Boston, yesterday saying this. I think they understand that they don't have the details that they need going into these games week to week in order to have success. And it was my understanding before last night's game that the players were going to try to be holding the coaches accountable (laughs) going into this Cardinals game to get those details that they needed in order to have success. So I think all of this that we're seeing from Mac Jones is a continuation. That's an ugly situation. I mean, that is an ugly, ugly situation. There is a disconnect between Patriots players and Patriots coaches. The players feel like they need to hold the coaches accountable. Think about that. When have you ever had to say that about a Bill Belichick team? Ever. You have a group of players that apparently feel like they aren't being prepared properly. They aren't being given the proper details. That's embarrassing to think about, and I don't know what's true, but you either have an NFL coaching staff that is ill-equipped, or you have a group of players that are just deflecting blame, and neither of those situations are good. Again, I don't know what's true. In reality, it's probably somewhere in the middle, but this, this is, this is not good. You have players 
showing up coaches demonstratively during the game. That's Mac. You have players calling out the coaching staff after the game. That's Kendrick Bourne. You have Mac talking with affinity about his old coach. And, I mean, this is, this is not a great situation here. Again, I think it probably is somewhere in the middle. I will give credence to the players on this front. I do not believe the Patriots coaching staff right now is on the top of their P's and Q's. Like they have been for years. Because the clock management the last three weeks points to that. The, the timeout situations have been bad. The coaching staff does not appear to be as on top of things as they've used to be. But the players also, they're the ones who commit false starts, and they're the ones who commit holding, and they're the ones who commit delay of game. So again, it is somewhere in the middle, but it is a tough look all around. If the players think they have to hold the coaches accountable, that is a tough, tough look. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. The Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line is open at 802 802- Five eight five thirty twenty six. Uh Nick, we got time for this. Quickly, uh let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Well, they have an expensive but totally unimpressive receiving core, and they have at absolute best, at most charitable, the ninth best quarterback in their own conference. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it! It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Before I get into Who's Saying What, uh, on that clip, the last one there, the politics and race, that's our friend Lou Merloni from WEI in Boston. And I just want to point this out real quick, that WEI in Boston announced a couple of shakeups this week, and they actually are going to affect us here on WDEV. Lou Merloni is not being retained from his afternoon radio show. And I feel bad for Lou. I like Lou a lot. I think Lou is awesome as a radio host. I think he's awesome as a personality. And I hate that this business will sometimes chew you up and spit you out. It's the reality of this business. I absolutely hate it, though. Lou is not going to be on the afternoon drive show at WEEI anymore. But what is good news for us is that I think... And Lou said this, I think Lou's going to do a lot more Red Sox games on the radio as a result. He's not going to be doing the radio show, so he can do a lot more Red Sox games. He says, that's what I want to do. I want to do more games. I want to be in the booth. So I think we're going to get more Lou Merloni on our Red Sox coverage this year. I absolutely love that. The downside of WEI's reshuffling is that Our guy Mutt, Mike Mitnansky, who always does the Red Sox pregame show, he also is not being retained at WEEI. So we're going to have a new Red Sox pregame show host. And, uh, again, a tough reality of the business. I I think both those guys are uber talented on the radio. I love Mutt's work on the Red Sox pregame network or the Red Sox radio network and the pregame show. And uh, we'll see what the Red Sox do and the EEI does and how that affects us and who it's going to be. But nonetheless, I just uh, wanted to shout them out because I think they're both really talented, and I'm disappointed they won't be doing everyday radio. But more Lou on our broadcast channel uh, during the Sox, to me, is uh, is a good thing. Speaking of WEI, former uh, NFL quarterback Dan Orlovsky was on EEI last week after the Patriots had lost to the Bills. After the Bills lost, but before the Cardinals' victory. And I've been thinking about this 
for a few days ever since I heard it. Dan Orlovsky says that if the Patriots' offensive coaching situation does not improve, that he thinks Mac Jones should go to Robert Kraft this offseason and ask for a trade, Nick. It's hard to sit there and say, we grin and bear it when it's your career. Like when it's, when it's, you're the quarterback, you're a young guy, there's already questions when you come into the league about your ability. That's why you went 15th. And then you have this rookie year, and then you're just supposed to sit there and say, well, you know, like my play is just going to continue to be average to below average to pedestrian, and I just have to deal with it. And this is a tough one. So Dan Orlovsky says if the coaching situation doesn't improve, Max should ask for a trade. This one is very, very complicated, and I think it's a little bit confusing. I believe Robert Kraft should sit down with Bill Belichick this offseason and demand that the offense have a true offensive coordinator and one who is dedicated solely to that and one who has experience doing that. So if Bill Belichick accepts that, if Robert Kraft does it and Belichick accepts it, then Mac doesn't need to ask for a trade, right? In Orlovsky's world, that would be good enough. So if Kraft says this and Belichick does it, then Mac can be happy going into 2023. Well, then that's great. The other side of the coin is Belichick doesn't accept it. And Belichick says, stay out of my business, buddy. Then what happens? I mean, is Belichick going to quit over that? Is Kraft going to push him out? Is Kraft going to, is Kraft going to back down? I, I don't know, you know, is Mac going to wait for all that to play out and then decide if he's going to ask for a trade or not? So I think it's very confusing. So a lot of it depends on what Kraft does and how Belichick reacts, but For the sake of Dan Orlovsky's point, let's just say this. Let's just say that Bill Belichick wants to run it back next year with Matt Patricia. If you're Mac Jones then, what do you do? That is the question. If if Matt Patricia is back as the play caller next year, what does Mac Jones do? Orlovsky says ask for a trade. For me, I... I just don't think Mac can do it. I just don't think Mac Jones can or should ask for a trade in that scenario. I get Orlovsky's point. It's your career. You don't want it wasted. You don't want to play mediocre football. I get all that. But I just think it would not work out well for Mac Jones. Mac Jones has three years left after this one on his rookie contract. We know what a valuable asset that is. So he goes in, demands a trade, and then what? The Patriots don't trade him. And now he's he's just shot himself in the foot in that building. I, that to me would not be a good thing. That to me would not be a good thing. I, I just don't think if you're Macman, you just you've got to get. If that's the situation where Patricia's coming back, you got to hammer home conversation. I think as a year three player, I think Mac would have more say in things, and I think you'd have to take that route. I I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Because I just don't think they have to, they don't have to trade you, so you've created an uncomfortable situation for yourself for no reason. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. When we come back, the Red Sox are in play for Dansby Swanson. Does your outlook and your opinion of the Red Sox offseason change if they land him? We'll talk about it next here on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. 
Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Reminder, Jazz with George Thomas is coming up at 7 o'clock. No high school basketball tomorrow because of the impending snowstorm, so we will have a full show all 90 minutes. The show is brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training, Vermont's premier truck driver training school, online at ProDriverCDL.com. Question for the room. 802-585-3026. Question for the room. How would you feel about the Red Sox offseason if they added Dansby Swanson here in free agency? Right, you look at the Red Sox, they are falling out of favor with the fans. And by the way, I don't think the team right now is particularly good. You look at the Red Sox offseason, they've lost Michael Waka, they've lost Rich Hill, they've lost J.D. Martinez, and they've lost Xander Bogarts. And they've fouled that one up six ways to Sunday. And things are not looking real good right now with Rafael Devers, and they also got rid of, of Christian Vasquez. So you've lost some good players and some fan favorites. On the flip side... You have signed Matasaka Yoshida, Kenley Jansen. You've added a couple of bullpen arms. If you want to get better and curry up public favor, you could add Dansby Swanson, the former shortstop of the Braves. He is the last of the big four shortstops available, and you are said to be in the running for him. So my question is this. Do you change your tune on the Red Sox offseason if they sign Swanson? Yesterday, I talked with Tom with uh, Tom Karen of Nesson. He told me on the podcast channel, Swanson is the guy he wants, Nick. Well, right now, the best move to the table for me is Dansby Swanson. A uh, year and a half younger than Bogart. He's hit more home runs than Bogart each of the last three seasons. Uh, played all 162 last year. Played 160 out of 162 the year before. And played all 60 in the shortened season of 2020. The guy's been durable. He's been healthy. And I think he's just coming to his own at 28. I think he'd be a great fit with Story up the middle. <clears throat> I do think that his deal is not going to get up into the stratosphere of these other deals because he's got a qualifying offer attached. So TC mentions the great qualities of Swanson, his age, his versatility, his or rather his availability. Mentions also he thinks the price will be lower. So all that's good. And then just a little while ago, Buster Olney of ESPN was on the show an hour ago, and he said he also believes Swanson could be in play for the Red Sox. An agent who was not Scott Boris predicted to me two weeks ago that he thinks Dansby's going to wind up with the Red Sox. Mm. Uh, and it might be that, you know, the price range falls into a place that looks appealing to the Red Sox. You know, the feeling among some of the agents I spoke with yesterday is that he's going to wind up with a deal, or let's say this. He's going to wind up with offers that are in the same range as what we saw with Trevor Story and Javier Baez last spring. It's about $140 million. So, again, Buster says it's a legitimate rumor that Swanson could be in play for the Red Sox. So my question is, if the Red Sox lose Bogarts, the fan favorite, but they bring in Swanson, presumably on a much better deal, are you going to put the pitchforks away on High and Bloom? 802-585-3026. You lost Bogarts. If they get Swanson for $140 million less, are you now happy with High and Bloom? I will say this. If the Red Sox sign Swanson, I will be thrilled. Thrilled. He is a great replacement for, for Bogarts baseball-wise. Right? I get fan favorite. I get branding. 
it's still there's there's a hole in your heart not having Xander Bogarts. But baseball wise, given the age, given the production, and given the dollars. Dansby Swanson would be a great alternative, and he would be far better for the Red Sox at shortstop than Kike Hernandez or Christian Arroyo or Jose Iglesias or whoever else is out there. If Dansby Swanson is here, the team gets better and presumably has more money to play with to try to go get Rafael Devers, and I'm all in, I'm all for that. I am all for that. And frankly, if Swanson came here. I think right now you would be in the throes of a very good offseason baseball-wise. You've added three bullpen arms in Kenley Jansen, Chris Martin, and Jolie Rodriguez. You've gotten a leadoff hitter with some great contact and some good power in Yoshida. And you've gotten a very good productive shortstop in Swanson. It wouldn't be perfect. You still need other things if you want to get really good. But if you bring in Dansby Swanson, I at least... I at least will, if you bring in Swanson on a very, on an economically friendly deal in comparison to Bogarts, I will be much more likely to forgive you fouling it up with Bogarts. Yes, for me, bringing in Dansby Swanson would drastically change the rhetoric around this offseason. It would drastically change the rhetoric. For me, though, the ultimate test is going to come down to what happens with Devers. That's the ultimate test. Everything for me hinges on that. If you bring in Swanson, I think your offseason is headed in a good direction. I actually think your offseason is very good. But the specter of of the Devers debacle hanging over you, will it will continue to hang over you. It will continue to hang over you. Because at some point, your favorite team needs to step up and help out its own. And that that's what I need to know. If you bring in Swanson, I'm thrilled, right? The team is better. The, mo- the money is saved. The money is there. You can help in other things. And I will forgive you screwing it up with Bogarts if you bring in Swanson. But you've got to get Devers. You've got to lock him up. Because I want to know that my favorite team values its own. I want to know that my favorite team can cultivate its talent but that it also can take care of its talent. I want the young players in my organization, the Tristan Costases, the Brian Bales, the Marcelo Mayers, I want them to see that this is a good place to be that cares about its own prospects. At some point, it goes beyond just building a good baseball team. You need to send a good message. When you've lost Mookie Betts and you've let Xander Bogarts go, you're not sending a good message to your organization and to your young players. Signing Rafael Devers would send a great message. If this team locks up Devers and brings in Swanson, then I will give Hyam Bloom an A for this offseason. If they bring in Swanson alone, I will tell you that your offseason is far better than it was a week ago. But if you can bring in Devers, if you can lock Devers up, then to me, that would be, that is the ultimate. That is the ultimate. It's the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. If I were Dansby Swanson, I would not come here. Simply put, if I were Dansby Swanson, 
I would not come to Boston. I'm telling you, if the Red Sox get Swanson, they're gonna they're, they're working towards pulling me back in, and that's great. But if I'm Swanson, I'm not allowing that to happen. I'm not coming here. Because if I am Dansby Swanson, why would I? Why would I come here? Look at what is pointing in the anti-Red Sox direction. Number one, as of now, the Red Sox are not set up best to win. Of the teams that are interested in me, the Dodgers right now are are better far and away by a long shot. Like Bog- or, uh, Swanson's got the Red Sox, the Dodgers, the Cubs, and the Braves, and the Twins all interested in them. The Dodgers are the best team now, and they profile to be excellent for a long time coming. If I'm Dansby Swanson and winning is the most important thing to me, the Red Sox are not set up to win right now. They're not set up as good as the Dodgers to win. They don't have what the Cubs are building right now. I would say short-term, Dodgers are set up to win best. Long-term, Dodgers and Cubs are set up pretty well, and they're both set up better than the Red Sox. The Braves, who I just played for, who I know well, who I know everybody there, they are set up well to win for the long term. So the Red Sox don't have the win factor on their side, either in the short term or the long term. Look at the division. Quickest way to the playoffs is through your division. Easiest path to the playoffs is through your division. And the AL East profiles to be really hard for years to come. I don't know that I need to do that if I'm Dansby Swanson. The NL Central is, is far weaker and profiles to be for years to come. I could go join the Cubs. The AL Central is weaker. I could go join the Twins. The AL East is really difficult. And then the money. Well, Buster thinks the, the number could go way down. My question is, do we have confidence that the Red Sox will offer Dansby Swanson the most money? Because I think we've seen pretty clearly the Red Sox are not in the business of, of, of giving out the most money to guys. So what exactly would entice Dansby Swanson to come here? It's not the easiest place to win. They're not going to pay as much money. And, oh, by the way, I don't really want to be the guy to follow Xander Bogarts. The Red Sox fans are heartbroken. The Red Sox fans are heartbroken at Bogey not being here. I don't want to be the guy to follow that. I don't want to be compared to Bogart in every possible way. If I go through April and I'm hitting 210 and Bogart is in San Diego hitting 295, I, I don't want that pressure. I don't want that perception. I can't just be me if I'm living in Bogarts' shadow. If I go to the Dodgers, I'm replacing Trey Turner. Guess what? Trey Turner was a hired mercenary for them. He was there for a year and a half at a trade deadline deal. They're not in love with Trey Turner. They're not grieving Trey Turner not being there. If I go to Minnesota... Carlos Correa is who I'm replacing. He was there for one year. He was a mercenary. He was a hired gun. No history there. It's not hard to replace Carlos Correa in Minnesota. I couldn't even tell you who the Cubs shortstop was last year. You're not replacing anybody there that, uh, of importance to the fan base. It's not easy to replace a legend. It's not easy to be the guy to step in and try to mend the fan base's broken heart. That's not a position that I want to be in. 
They're not going to offer me the most money. They're not set up best to win. And I have to follow Xander? No, thank you. If I'm Swanson, I'm out of Boston. Until they step up and can provide one of the... Look, the only thing they can do is offer me more money. That is the only thing they can do. Because they can't get themselves set up better to win than the other teams right away. And they can't not make me replace Xander. If I'm going to put myself under those circumstances, you better be offering me more money. Whether that's 165 or 175 or whatever, you better be the team offering more money. Because nothing else you can do is real enticing. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Think about it like relationships, man. Think about it. Okay, you start seeing this girl. She just broke up with somebody. And she had her heart broken, right? She, she didn't want to break up with this guy. You start seeing her. And you're always being compared to that guy. Oh, yeah, well, you know, this guy, he took me there, or we did this, or he would have done it that way, or that guy would cook for me, or that guy made it this way, or this guy. And guess what? That's exhausting. That's hard to do. That's a hard position to be in. And that's the position that Swanson would be in. And if I'm him, and I got other choices on the board, I'm taking one of those. I think Swanson's fiance is a pro soccer player in Chicago. Why would the Cubs not be appealing to you? Why would staying in the South and the Braves where you're already loved, why would that not be appealing to what What's appealing about the Red Sox? Unless it's the dollars, which I don't trust that it will be, what's appealing about the Red Sox? It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line is open. I'll answer some more of your texts, and we'll close out the show next here on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. couple minutes left here. On the Brady Farkas Show, I want to remind you that the full show podcast will be available uh, shortly after 7 o'clock. Really, our team does a good job of getting those done pretty quick. Uh, you know, show will end here in a couple of minutes, and we'll have it up 10 minutes later or so on our podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. I want to continue to thank everybody uh, for their support of our podcast channel. You know, Spotify does these kind of end-of-year wrap-ups on your show and again it's just spotify people listen on wdevradio.com people listen on apple Podcasts. this is just a spotify thing but we have in total on all the platforms 506,000 total downloads of the brady farkas show which to me is just mind-blowing i thought maybe we're gonna get like 30 a day we get like between 200 and 400 listeners a day, which is insane to me. But on these Spotify wrapped, you know, on this kind of wrapped up thing from Spotify, they've determined that so far in 2022, the Brady Farkas show has put up nearly 15,000 minutes of new content. Think about that. 15,000 minutes in 2022. I also learned a bunch of other wonky things. Like we are the most downloaded podcast of the year for, like, 60 different people. 
Like 60 different people listen to us more than any other podcast on their podcast channel, which is just amazing. Again, it's amazing to me. Just uh, you guys are the best. It's that simple. Ralph says, Brady, enough Patriots. I'm rooting for your Seahawks tonight. Uh, everything Pete Carroll and Geno Smith have been through, I hope to make the playoffs. No one gave them a chance at the start of the season. That's true. No one did give them a chance at the start of the season, including me. Seahawks have played far better than I expected them to. Geno has been great in a lot of ways. That said, the Niners are going to roll them tonight. There's not a doubt in my mind. I, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm trying to be realistic. The 49ers are playing with a third-string quarterback who was injured. That said, they are better than the Seahawks. And here's the reasons why. One, Kyle Shanahan is brilliant offensively. They will find a way to get Brock Purdy to play well enough. Two, the Seahawks cannot stop the run. I mean, they're allowing like 185 yards a game rushing over the last four games. Christian McCaffrey is going to have a field day. So that's going to be a problem. And the Seahawks can't guard a tight end. George Kittle will have a field day. And the 49ers do not allow anybody to rush. It's like, what, five straight weeks of 50 yards or less for running backs against the Niners? And the Seahawks are playing with an injured Kenneth Walker and a bunch of backups. It's not going to be pretty. It might be ugly at the beginning where the Seahawks are close. You know, we might be at like, you know, Three nothing or ten seven for a while, but ultimately I think you know a turnover here or there. I got the Niners winning this game like twenty three to nine or something. I I hope I'm wrong, Ralph. I'm rooting for the Seahawks too. They need this win. I hope they make the playoffs, but uh, it could be tough sledding. It's a tough matchup for them, especially on a short week. Thanks to Nick Mumley pushing the buttons for us. He's going to be back again on Tuesday, uh, hosting the Brady Farkas Show in my absence, but. We got tomorrow and Monday to get through first. Jazz with George Thomas is next. See you tomorrow, everybody on DEV.